0: Welcome
1: again. Today we are going to talk about Chapter 4 of A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm here with... Dave. Josh. Tom. All right. So, um, I like Chapter 4. I think Chapter 4 is maybe the best chapter yeah. in the book. Good. No? It's good. You don't think? I don't know. General, uh... <laughs> that's not really <laughs> ring endorsement, but, um... Yeah, I don't know if we can. Um, I don't know how much I buy into kind of the conventional Aristotelian, like, kind of arc of, you know, climax and, you know, fall. but I definitely think if there was a kind of, you know, cohesive structure to the book, that this is the climax. And, you know, uh, certainly in that last section, you get that kind of, like, ringing change. And I, I think the most compelling thing in this chapter is the kind of, you know, vast change we get in Stephen and um, all of those. Uh, you know all, all of those kind of emotional um, you know points that 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 <coughs> I don't know that hit me right. Yeah,
2: it's definitely the volta because if the, yeah. if it's about the, the emergence of an artist, this is the decision. This is you know he, he has this trajectory, then all of a sudden he, he pivots away from from joining the Jesuits, and from there he's ready to be an artist. So
0: yeah, I think so. So why does the end it there? Like why does he yeah. end with that triumphal you know ending there, or the you know, the triumphant ending or I guess triumphant ending, and then afterglow of it's, Stephen lying on the beach. It's the too romantic.
3: That's yeah. what I was yeah, trying so to guess. So that's what we're,
0: we're gonna have I'll, to get I'll, into.
2: I'll answer that. I think God, I don't even know. But if, if a, a big part of this is the development of the soul. He, has, he still hasn't developed his soul yet. He's developed the direction in Chapter 4, and he's, he's definitely moved away from one thing and headed to another, but there is uh, the finding of his soul and finding of like his purpose of, of what his art is going to be. And and, and, but it, you know, leading up to that in Chapter 5, so this is why I was
0: reluctant to say that this is, you know, I, I didn't want to put a rating on any of the chapters, <laughs> but uh, I was especially reluctant to agree with you that Chapter 4 is, like, the chapter, because... I think that Chapter Four is serviced by Chapter Five, and I think Chapter Five being stronger with that self-doubt leading to those decisions at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think. I think. Um, I mean, I, think, I really do think the work would be inferior without Chapter Five, not because of the the, you know, the lack of pages, but because I think Chapter Five is a far stronger, more realistic growth of Stephen as an artist. But it's kind of a drag. Sure, but it's I don't. I, it has everything that I love about what will ultimately become Stephen in Ulysses: the self doubt.
1: I think Chapter Five, as compared yeah. to Chapter Four, Chapter I, I Four, compare. I think has so much life and you know just just richness to it. Uh, but it's all
0: artifice. I know I keep using that word, but I think we're I think we are caught up with Stephen's inspiration there. But it, it, it is it's so artificial. Like I, I'm jumping right to the end. The the whole epiphany of Bird Girl. Is it's like a work of art that has been so carefully constructed. It's not the real experience. I, the real experience we get that. in
2: Chapter Five. So listening to a teenager give his interpretation of uh, Aristotle and Aquinas. Right. No, or that's, 14, that, that's all right. Yeah, I, I agree with
0: you. I, I want to puke at that's some tedious. Point. But I think what makes that what makes that I think what makes that such a, a, a rich depiction is it's constantly undercut by Lynch, the comic relief. Yeah. You know, you're you're showing like this is Stephen attempting to, like that point where he says, again, I apologize to get way off topic into chapter 5, but where he says, what we are doing is right. You know, I couldn't help but think of us trying to talk about, like, what what Joyce is doing, but where he talks to Lynch and says, we are right to discuss these things. You know, I I agree with him that we are right to discuss these things. Um, I think the only thing that makes it bearable, though, is Lynch with his comic relief and the constant interruptions I think that's more real than Stephen describing, you know, in carefully measured prose, or actually not carefully measured, almost like, you know, hyperbolic prose, this radiant vision on the beach, you know. Stephen's
1: not describing it. Joyce No, no, that's Stephen. I, I don't, I mean, no, literally it's Joyce. <laughs> I understand that.
0: I understand that. But we are, I think we are to understand that this is Stephen yeah. as the budding artist. As, much as, taking
1: as much as anybody else has claimed to that third person voice, I agree. But, but I mean, so, all right, let's go. I'll take your word for it. I'll say that is completely Stephen. What makes it artificial? Because it's inauthentic. No,
0: I'm not saying that it's inauthentic. It, it's artistry, but it's artistry worn very clear. I think we are supposed to understand that this is a this is an artist as a young man and this is his first these are his first attempts at at showing like what he is feeling. But it is so indebted to the time period. I think that you know Joyce is at a remove from this. Yes, Joyce is of course composing this that 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 vision on the beach, right? Mm-hmm. But we're very much it, it's it's it is Stephen's composition through and through. It is composed so thoroughly, like you know. I, mean, uh,
1: I, I uh, guess what I, I guess what I'm getting at is what makes that artificial. I mean, that seems more genuine than anything. I mean, you might not like the teenage musings and the kind of pomposity of it, perhaps. I don't. I don't think it's pompous, but let's say that's. I the don't case. think it's
0: pompous at all, but I think that it is very. Um, let's put it this. Way, I feel it's overwrought. Sure. Okay. Right. But but. But isn't that genuine? I mean, yeah, isn't I, that the I'm experience not, of I'm a not, teenager? I'm not questioning whether it is genuine or not. When I'm saying artifice, I mean, I don't feel as though anyone is being, you know, showing guile or anything like that. I feel it is very much a conscious, artistic representation from the point of view of a 16 or 17-year-old yeah. boy. Perfectly captured. It's not the language of Joyce. It's the language of Stephen at that moment. I think it's perfect in that way, but I think it's also overwrought and it's, it's charming in, in its flaws, huh. right? I don't embrace it as, whoa, you want to hear Joyce is a good writer. Read this particular passage, it'll blow your mind. I would read this as, look, this is Joyce as an amazing writer who can create a pastiche of what a very talented 18-year-old could create in his composition book after his amazing, you know, Rhapsody on the beach
1: see, I see that in Chapter Five, particularly with the poem, but I do not see that in chapter Four. Yeah. I buy all the shit in chapter four it, it as is, it, as a, like as true epiphany as something that is legitimate and moving i i feel why can't
0: moved. why can't well, I feel moved too because it's you know he's he's freeing himself there it's 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 ecstatic, but it is also you know I don't think that
1: but you i mean essentially you're saying you feel moved because you can kind of read through the language. I'm well, saying, yes. I'm saying the language moves me. I guess that makes me dull. So Josh... No, that- no. <laughs> no you're, you're, you're kind of a it doesn't sin. make me dull.
0: It just makes you childish. No, I, I, I would never <laughs> go sinful. so far. But... Um, well, do you... I mean, what, what do you guys experience?
2: I you, I know I, I I viewed it that way, but I wasn't offended by it. It's I'm not so, offended by no, it. I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. Right, the, because the I, yeah, the whole time I was okay it, with the fact that yeah, this is some sort of narcissist right. wannabe artist who's going over the top with his imagery. I, I actually have the, the passage of of Bird Girl, mm-hmm. it, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely you ridiculous. I oh, see. I don't. I, it's I like. It. But I, but I think it's ridiculous in a in, in a beautiful way. I don't I don't <laughs> find offense to it. I I just think Joyce is doing it with a, a little tons this, of this, this is the
0: same doing. this is the same author who in a chapter of Ulysses can mimic the style of countless oh, English yeah. prose stylists going way back to Latin prose stylists all the way up to his own time period this this is the crea- this is what I think a super talented I don't know how old Stephen is supposed to be at this point but a, yeah. a super talented young and- man I, as a forty-year-old adult, could not write like this. Yeah, you know old. what I mean? <laughs> I'm the youngest one here, well, except for Davis. Yeah, no, no. yeah, fifteen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for, how precocious is he? He's very yeah, for at the for table good with Davis. Yeah, I'm
2: smart for fifteen. I don't know. I, I, maybe we should go back <laughs> to the beginning well, and then yeah, get yeah. To that. Oh, point. let's Let stay on this topic for yeah. another like hour or so. Well,
3: Come how down. about? I mean, how about just the idea that this kid has been wrestling with so many issues as to what he should do with his life. And he finally has, you know, he's on the beach, his friends are calling him. He he has a choice to kind of enter back into the world of childhood and and forget any kind of weight or responsibility of decision making. And he has this kind of moment where he realizes that he wants to, you know, you know, renounce the priesthood. He wants to go off this idea of artistry coming into play. He that, that turning that girl into a bird is just a kind of beautiful moment. It's a romantic moment of a kid on his journey through life. And so I, I guess I'm wondering what what would we, but it falls we so it?
0: it falls so closely on the heels of his inspiration with his own name. It's, it's Man. Yeah, it's I I don't know, just it's, super, I think yeah. I think it's it's charming. Yeah. Right? I I think that's really charming. I think it really shows the strength of an epiphany at that age. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that this is, you know, I, I I think that you need to have that anticlimax at the very beginning of chapter five to make this work. Otherwise, it would be
3: mm-hmm. somewhat
0: insufferable, although it does have that same feeling of elation that chapter one ended. Mm-hmm. You know yes, what I mean? I agree. But I think it's a much stronger work for the fact that, OK, so, yes, we've reached that point it is, you know, it's now coming over me. I can have that. You know, exhalation of artistic inspiration. Lie down on the beach and relax. It's all come through, and then he, you know the next chapter begins with him in the shitty circumstances of his life. That's really where the fight is. That's really the challenge. Getting yep. through that.
1: Great. But How do you? How do you? What do you do with this information in the real world? And how does it play out? Right. And how do you deal with those disappointments? Ultimately, I agree. I think chapter five makes us a better text than stopping at chapter yeah. four because of those reasons, right? Because you, but I don't think that undercuts completely the romantic value of chapter four. I think it actually
3: heightens it in yeah. a way, right? By yeah. showing that
1: juxtaposition.
3: Yeah. yeah. I think that's something Joyce has been wrestling with back into Dubliners. This idea that, you know, he gets pulled back into the world of myth and storytelling so often, the kind of uh, world of, of his youth and what he was taught, and yet he kind of senses a, a harsher reality that is Dublin. And you know, getting pulled into adulthood, there are still aspects of plot in this story that are unresolved. For example, his father. Like, you couldn't end this book in part four because there are still things that Stephen's grappling with. And this is a book not just about his becoming of an artist, but it's really a book of his childhood, I feel like. Yeah. I think so.
1: All right. Let's, uh, let's go back. Because... Um, I think the transition from chapter three to chapter four is far different from the one from four to five, Fun. and it's interesting, right? Because I mean, this is, there's three sections to chapter four. The first whole section is like an addendum to chapter three. Yeah. I mean, it's basically just playing off of those notions we it's left like the off. The afterglow. On. That's what goes <laughs> interesting.
0: <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the after effect of his, it's the true sign of his devotion, his itemization of all the, the blessings that he is uh, you know, accumulating for the poor souls of purgatory and all the things he's doing for the mortification of his life and whatnot. You know, it's the effect. It's the after effect of yeah. the sermon. You really see it here. Even at it, its crass, I you wouldn't know, say he's
1: basking in. It. Uh, well, he appears
0: to be. I mean, no, right? he, there's a there's a insufferable pride in what yeah. he is doing and how. Like when he talks about the ingenious ways he has thought to mortify his senses.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, I guess it is basking in a way. Um,
2: yeah, it's even just basks in in, in in the notion that he could fail. Yeah, Yeah. so he, yeah. So there's The idea that that asking. creeping
0: tide of sin, and if yeah. he just dips his toe in it, but yeah, he can, by an act of will, make it not happen.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess that's right. Um, what, what strikes me most in the beginning of chapter four is the kind of uh, formal organization of it all, right? Particularly with that first paragraph, Sunday was dedicated to the mysteries of the Holy Trinity, Monday, Tuesday, that... Um, that kind of rigid thinking, right, is is going to kind of define him. And then the third section will kind of undo that. So it, it, this chapter in and of itself is like, it has its own, you know, arc, right? And that's what I was trying to say at the beginning. Like, it seems more kind of like whole mm-hmm. as a piece than any of the
0: other chapters. And, and it begins with the you know basically wearing a hair shirt and constrained whereas at the end he's you know lying down on a beach with the world all around him feeling the world moving underneath completely
1: him. negating or distorting you know
2: the this the sensory world and then completely embracing and taking in all of the sensory world i looked at i get from austerity to the courtship discussions from the courtship to rejection from rejection to a very, very quick impatience that he has, and then from the impatience to the commencement of his life on the seashore, which yeah. we've talked about being <laughs> over-the-top or overwrought.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That tendency, though, towards being you know, overwrought or, or that prideful indulgence in his heroic nature, we, we've seen since the very beginning, when he's about to go up to speak to Reverend Commie, you know, about a rector me about, uh, you know, the unfairness of, uh, being pandied for not having his glasses. Remember, he thinks yeah. about the great men of history and whatnot. At the beginning of chapter four, you see himself placing himself in the, the close, you know, nearly in the same, uh, retinue of saints, right? He talks about, mm-hmm. you know, the, the heroic offering of every action of his, or he, he dreams of himself celebrating mass in the catacombs, almost like early Christian martyrs. Yeah. And then talks about the danger of, of that kind of ecstasy and how you've got to be very careful because you may end up like feeling like one of the saints and that's a no-no. Yeah. But he has a sense of himself like that.
1: So what is the attraction of all of this? I mean... What do you I've, mean? So... Well, why yeah. does, uh, whatever, 16, 17-year-olds, what are we going to say? 17, roughly, right, seems to be at the end of what we call high school. Why kind of give yourself over so wholly to this very unpleasant lifestyle? From my
0: point of view, anyway, at some point. You? Well, I was just going to say, he is definitely somebody that is attracted to order. And I think he easily falls into that after the experience of being just... Devastated through fear after that sermon. And so he easily falls into this ordered way of life because it's something that makes sense to him. And he's going to revel in it. He's going to do the best
2: that he can. What are you going to say? His, his life is based around excellence and the fact that he's so, he's like a prodigy of some sort. And he's probably listened to every rule and he's followed everything. And, and, and this is the biggest part of your culture, the Catholic Church. So following it to a T and following it down the path of not just any sort of order but the Jesuits itself it seems I mean that's what that's what makes his his digressions into you know, dissipation or, 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 or sin so much more greater because he probably has been following the straight line or we've seen that his entire childhood. Here's somebody, he's a kid who's listened to directions and he's done pretty damn uh, well at it and that's and that gets sold back to him uh, a couple of paragraphs into this uh, during the recruitment yeah. like you know you're the best of the best yeah. and, and, he, and, and how does he react to it? He, get, he swells with pride yeah. so yeah. it makes total sense that he gets off on that. Yeah. I, I mean,
1: I, you know, I think we talked about this a little last time but I think it's, it's a kind of easier construct of a life as well particularly for somebody that um, doesn't have a whole lot of options as a Dubliner, right? This sets the path for you you don't really have any kind of personal responsibility in terms of making choices you just follow the rules and go through the life of a poet seems to be the opposite of that Right, That is a complete creative leap at every bound. You are ultimately responsible
3: for the things you say and the things you put out in the world. If he goes into the priesthood, is it fair to say he wouldn't have a family of sorts either? Well, you mean... Like he wouldn't like get own married own and have children? Yeah, but that would because, definitely be the case. Because, you know... Some of the conflicts he has with his father, if you look at his father as a role model, there could be a great deal of anxiety associated with like, oh, I have to go off and make a family. Not like he had many good models for it, you know. Yeah. Um, and there could you know like you just said it could be a lot easier having your path you know predetermined for you you don't have to think about those kinds of things I,
2: I would I would argue I think you're you're, you're 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 there like there is an easy path because the church itself it, it has like this this ready-made hierarchy and and, and yeah. this sort of bureaucracy where he could see how to get ahead and how to climb I think that's something very very uh, easy but I don't think that's the the easy easy choice. I'm sounding like, stupid at this <laughs> minute um, because re- restraint. Right. There's a, the, the physicality of, of him not having the, like you know to, to look away from women and, and wear the, the the hair shirt of sorts all the time and sleep in uncomfortable positions. That's not very easy. He does So vocationally, it seems to be an yeah. easy path, but life wise, it, it's going to suck.
0: He doesn't okay. want the easy path. If he's going to do this, he wants the he wants to be basically a show off about it. Like, look at, look at how, like, I will be the paragon of this life of Mm -hmm. discipline. So it's, uh, yeah, I think if he's going to go in, he's going to go in 120% rather Mm -hmm. than not, because that's, that's the way he moves. Um, What's the lure of it? I think, again, it is the pride. I mean, that's, that's why it's so tempting when the priest begins to talk about, you know, have you thought about this vocation? It's it's so much more than just, like, what a simpleton would think of, well, yeah, that would be great to be a priest, everything taken care of. His view is, I would know the mysteries of the sin right. of Simon Magus. I would know what it means to sin against the Holy Spirit. Like, he's already going to those deep mysteries, and to say no to all of that, to know to all that power, mm-hmm. you know, is 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 very difficult for him.
1: But it's an easy kind of restructuring of your identity. Right, I want to go back to what Dave said about families. What is a priest's name, by the way?
0: Do I, don't I don't think it's ever given. given. Uh, I think he's supposed to be named... I think he's supposed to be Father Darlington. I think it's the historical... Uh, oh, really?
1: Oh, I don't I think Father or
0: not. It's not him. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not
1: him. But um, he... Uh, when he gives his pitch, right? You know, the, the come join us, you know, seduction pitch... It's like he could, he's offering an alternative family, mm-hmm. right, where, where you don't really have to make the choices. It's already set up for you, you know, and that could be, all, you know, reach all the way up to God and, you know, what happens in terms of your eternal life or whatever. But, but immediately he's saying, look to me as father. In a way. I mean, he literally is father, given that kind of Catholic mentality. You don't have to go to the kind of abusive, chaotic ways of your earthly father. You could just kind of give that up and come with me. I got a whole path laid out for you. Mm-hmm. Just do what I say, and you're solid, mm-hmm. you know? So that kind of is being played with a little bit,
0: you know? And I think what during that interview, I think Stephen sees right through that. It's pretty clear. He has that moment where... The, the, the priest asks him, have you ever thought about whether you had a vocation? And Stephen stops himself from saying yes, even though he'd clearly thought about it. And you get the sense that throughout that whole interview, Stephen suddenly realizes, I can't, this is not, I cannot do this. You know, it seems like the battle has already been fought. I mean, even t- before that chapter, before the discussion of the vocation, it's pretty sudden where he realizes that this is not working. The disappointment sets in even before.
1: Well, I and, see that and, in the discussion of the of Victor Hugo
0: and... No, it's before that. It, you're talking before that? It's even that. before that. So he, you know, remember, because the whole passage ends right before the interview. The passage begins where he wonders... Like, why is it that every time I go to confession, I'm told I have to... I, I can no longer just confess my little venal sins, yeah. like sudden acts of anger. They make me go back to discuss the, the the things for which I am really ashamed of. Like, didn't it take hold? Like, what is this? Haven't I amended my life? He's already doubting this whole thing. But even more than that, uh, it, you know, in discussing with family and, and actually Stephen's difficulty with communing with others... You at one point he says to, um, for me on the vintage version, this is page 145 towards the bottom. He says to merge his life in the common tide of other lives was harder for him than any fasting or prayer. And it was his constant failure to do this to his own satisfaction, which caused in his soul at last a sensation of spiritual dryness together with a growth of doubts and scruples. Stephen appreciates the ritual, the ritual yeah. he can do, but like actually communing with other human beings is the thing that he is having tremendous difficulty with, unless it's through literature, because then what follows is a, disc, a disc, or his meditation on a work of sacred literature on the Virgin Mary. And when it's communing with language, that's his communion. But when it's actual communion, like the, the, yeah. the act of communion with an actual parish he can't.
1: Well, he envisions himself as the the pastor of a church with no
0: with no flock with
1: no flock, right? That yeah. you know, it's it's the child's book vision he sees or something. He likes that, right? Yeah. He because he doesn't want to have to deal with people. Doesn't want to, but deal with you. you know, you could be a very effective priest and not be good at dealing with people. We've seen example after example in this book of priests that climb the ladder. It seems like a good path given his mentality.
0: But he wants... Like, there there is that... He recognizes... Like, the whole crux, moving ahead to chapter five, the whole crux of that conversation at the end with Cranley is being alone and not feeling love. Yeah. Right? And he recognizes that as a potential problem in his life, but he, he grapples with it, but there's no solution to it. And I think he feels that there is something off with him, and we see it here, too. Like, he just... He cannot commune with the flock and otherwise what is it then it, it is all just empty ritual right where does he find the communion? It is actually in the language it's always in the language it's always in the well, beauty of the the beauty of the description of the song of solomon for example yeah. like that's where he finds his communion but not actually with human beings and not actually with god
3: right Well, that's true, especially in part four, because there are all sorts of people around him, but yet what does he choose to do? He chooses to walk down the beach alone, right? The kids are calling to him, but he kind of goes off on his own. I think the thing is about language is this idea that, you know, Stephen likes language as it's constantly moving and changing and evolving, you know? If he were to choose the priesthood, he would have the knowledge to some of the great mysteries of the world, but there's a lack of imagination there. Things seem dead in that world and idle and pale. Yeah, his choice, I think, is based on choosing
2: life because anything associated with the church, all the language is about the suppression. And it's the love of words less than a communion with other people because you could be a Jesuit and and abscond and and, and go off and study, right? You don't have to be at the head of a flock. In the head of a church, or even necessarily, you know he could be sequestered in 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 a classroom somewhere with just a small group of people in in, in like a uh, one of the schools that he basically attended. So I don't, I don't think it's the communion that turns, I mean, it it obviously he says it, but I I I would say the big things, the love of words and the embracing of being an artist is embracing life and your imagination and And your imagination. That's and you have to fall,
0: like you. I agree. In in order to experience that, you have to fall. Which he realizes very quickly, right? I think it's a sudden thing, which I think nicely mimics, you know, Paradise Lost with, you know, the description of Lucifer. It's an instantaneous thing.
2: I refuse. He says, I refuse. Yeah, non-serum,
0: I will not serve. I I will
2: not serve.
1: He brings up
3: falling in part four, too. Yeah. Yeah, there's that one paragraph that repeats the word fall fall over and over again. Um, Where is that? The snares of the world were its ways of sin. He would fall. He had not yet fallen, but he would fall silently in an instant. Not to fall was too hard, too hard, and he felt the silent lapse of his soul as it would be at some instant to come, falling, falling, but not yet fallen, still unfallen, but about to fall. So, so
0: I, can't, I can't read that, though, in, in, as, as a Latin teacher, right, <laughs> with all my verb charts and Joyce knowing his Latin. He's basically written a verb chart with the participles, falling, not yet fallen, still unfalling, but about to fall. I I think we are supposed to giggle a little bit at that that there's something so
1: that that seems a little silly yeah (laughs) I have to say but I I think the sentiment
3: is authentic in that like Stephen was reading those Latin (laughs) verb conjugation charts (laughs) well
1: Well, it's a real concern to him you know it's yeah it's, it's something that has real stakes
3: yeah look I used the word
0: artifice before, right? But what I mean by that is it, it's wearing the artistic structure on its sleeve. I don't mean that the sentiments are not genuine. Yeah. Stephen really is, you know, the, the character is grappling with these feelings, and it's not as though he's, there's any sort of pretense, like, you know, that the, the thoughts aren't deep, so I'll, make, I'll pour on the artistry to try to, like, mask some sort of uh, lack of depth. I, I'm not arguing that at all. I'm just saying, like, you know, I I guess I'm pushing back at the idea that that the descriptions are ipso facto, you know, incredible artistry. I think what's incredible artistry is to be able to create what feels like an authentic 18-year-old epiphany. Right,
1: to to really embody character.
0: Which I think is even more of an artistic feat.
1: Yeah, I I think we agree there. I I guess I thought you were maybe dismissing that. As something worthwhile,
0: but no, no, yeah, I think that's that's an incredible achievement.
1: By the way, I like um, at the very beginning of the third section where he picks up the fall a, a little bit, and he's talking about um, you know moving between the public house and yeah. the chapel, and he, uh, then timing their fall to the fall of verses. And he can take that you know Latin conjugate and playing with the language, and now where he's comfortable and using the archery and kind of playing with it manipulate that, making it into something that's
0: more worthwhile. Well, he's been doing that since he was a little kid, because remember yes. in chapter 2, he's timing the rhythm of the train with like, verses coming out, or at least some sort of poetic creation. So that seems like his thing. Rhythm is definitely something that is very, very important to him, that even when he's walking, it's like the sounds of you know words start coming.
2: But at the same time, it's, it's so much of the uh, the narrative is disjunctive, so that's what makes it very very modern. So it, I, I, as I read read it, sometimes I get the sense like I'm, like I'm in a sort of a right of spring sort of moment yeah. where I'm like you know being. Jolted with like
0: uh, you know syncopated. Where is it that he's talking about music like semitones, half tones, and whatnot? And oh. I wondered, I had to look up. Like, is is Rite of Spring? So Rite of Spring oh. post <laughs> dates this. Yeah. So he's he's not talking about. It's not Stravinsky that's on the mind. It's probably more like some like Debussy and whatnot. But I, I had the 19, same in
2: 1913. That's coming out. Right? What Rite of Spring? Rite of is Spring. that when the famous yeah, uh, the riots? riot or whatever? Yeah but he's writing it after the fact true maybe, yeah maybe he's he's, he's throwing Ultra it out there that the younger him is, is yeah. so much he's so precocious that he's uh, he's predated, he's anticipating he's anticipating yeah <laughs> maybe alright
1: I want to change subjects a little bit and uh, one thing I noticed this time around was I think a uh, parallel with all these you know thematic issues we've been talking about is this idea of the past and sins and the present and kind of putting things out there I think that's a another way to kind of frame the dichotomy we're talking about and at the end of the first section you get him I, I think Joshua was alluding to this a little while ago you get him talking about you know confession and the problems of it and how it doesn't seem to ever kind of satisfactorily you know cleanse him and there's a sentence uh, a restless feeling of guilt would always be present with him he would confess and repent and be absolved confess repent again and be absolved again fruitlessly there's a sense here that um, I think going into the past, right, which is a kind of expression of yourself, you know, your experiences make up who you are today, is something that Stephen is trying desperately to deny. I think that's particularly, I think, like a teenage move. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on that. But this idea to, you know, want to reinvent yourself. And by doing that, kind of annihilate what has come before. Am I babbling here? Does that make
0: sense? No, he, no. he says so much in, in yeah. so many words in chapter five, when he's talking to Cranley, so that I'm not that person that I was before. That is a different but that's person. That's
1: wrong. You yeah. always are that person. Yeah. And I, I think that's very interesting, right? Cause I always find myself disagreeing with Stephen in these points. I think Joyce does too, by the way, I think that is a great expression of not only the kind of, you know, I don't know. Um, naivety of of teenagers, but also a kind of mark against him as an artist, right? Because a true artist is somebody that I think has to plow the depths of the past, even the most painful, to kind of build creativity for the future, to, to put something out there, right? While Stephen is enmeshed in this kind of net of the church, he can never be this thing, right? Because he's always going to look at the experience with the prostitutes of the past as a a, a dark mark on his soul, when he should be
3: looking to that as inspiration for who he should be as an artist. That's because the church tells him what to think, right? The church tells him what's good and what's right and what's wrong, so it doesn't allow him to kind of explore himself, which is essentially what is what's so limiting, Right. Of the chair,
1: I love how Joyce kind of, like, articulates this all through the, the act of confession. This thing that is supposed to be, I, I guess, like, stereotypically thought of this, this cleansing process that makes us feel better about ourselves. And reading this, you know, just this week, I was thinking, like, it, it actually is... This horrible kind of denial of who you Mm -hmm. are—it's sickening. I I know I'm coming very modern, you know, from a postmodern point of view in all this, but
0: but it it really if it it is supposed to be a, a cleansing ritual, then right, like it's supposed to provide you, like if you show genuine contrition, you are then absolved of it. The constant. Echoing of it of old sins, like the priest seems almost salacious to want to hear. Like, well, yeah. give me another. That's not good enough. Give me another. I want something a little more uh, lascivious.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think it very much ties into you know the power that Stephen sees available to him on the other side. He not only can does he get the sense that he can annihilate him his old self and kind of purify himself in that way. He can be the arbiter of other people as well, and mm-hmm. that will. Kind of wield this like I don't know this this incredible uh, power over over people that just seems so corrupt and gross to me.
0: No, I mean I think he point, he points up it even in the wording with like puns on it, humiliated and shamed him to think that he would never be freed from it wholly. However, holily, you know, playing on the whole
2: idea that the, the whole thing seems to be a, a, a sham. The implacable God. I mean, that's always going to loom over him. And joining, joining the team gets yeah. him as close as possible. That that that's the, your best chances at, at ablution, I guess, yeah. than, than any other way of life. And, and that 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 uh, discussion where the priest is is explaining
1: to him like the powers he will have. I, I'm going to read that um, to receive that call, Stephen is the greatest honor that the Almighty God can bestow upon a man. No king or emperor on this earth has the power of the priest of God. No angel or archangel in heaven, no saint, not even the Blessed Virgin herself, has the power of a priest of God, the power of the keys, the power to bind and to loose from sin, the power of exorcism, the power to cast out from the creatures of God the evil spirits that have power over them, the power, the authority, to make the great God of Heaven come down upon the altar and take the form of bread and wine, what an awful power, Stephen! And that could be—that could be like you know, like Sauron in the like <laughs> Lord of the Rings or something, right? Yeah, you used the word seductive before, and that's yeah. what it is. You're yeah. bestowed with magic powers. Yeah, it, it's it's incredible that that is seen as a positive, healthy point of yeah. view.
0: Yeah. The, the way the chapter begins is, is so different than that because it's so gloomy. Once again, it's like you're in, uh, you know, Rector Conmy's room and the detail of him slowly dangling and looping the cord of the other blind, almost like creating a noose for yeah, Stephen yeah. at one point and Stephen's fixated on that. The light is always waning, you know, his face is in total shadow, waning is mentioned like three times within two pages, you know, the curves of his skull, I mean, there's just death Everywhere, yeah. Yeah. and then the pa- you I mean, know, against the power of, of the priesthood.
2: And then after, I think the section that Joe just read, he always describes the priest as uh, mirthless. Yeah, yeah. So you're, there's a this 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 meditation on, on the sad and gloomy all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, there are some weird things he does talk about. But but before we get that, I I love the the opening introduction of him. It's the first sentences of the second part. The director stood in the embrasure, is that yeah. embrasure of the window, his back to the light, leaning an elbow on the brown cross blind, and as he spoke and smiled, slowly dangling the looping and looping the cord of the other blind. I love like, you know, I love Joyce in windows, but this one he's not looking out of, he has yeah, his back to the window. You get the sense the sun's coming in so that when Stephen looks at him, all he can see is a shadowy, shadowy. vision. Mm-hmm. That's great. Right? And he mentions it a couple times like not being able to read the priest's face because of this. And he just kind of, like, looms over with this, like, heavenly light surrounding him, this dark, shadowy thing. The imagery is amazing, but he makes you do it. But, uh, you know, all the other windows we've seen in Joyce so far are always, like, these kind of, like perspective making mechanisms and you know and
3: you're trapped behind it but that's the only portal into the world
1: right but it gives you some power to kind of construct a vision in this one he doesn't care about that right he looks straight at stephen as a kind of like target almost ignoring any kind of other perspective that exists out there
0: which is i think joyce arguing that's the trajectory of the church and Stephen, to his credit, sees through it pretty quickly. I think he sees, he's tempted yeah. by the power, but he, uh, he it's pretty clear, like, when he ends, he's, like, his end, Like when he leaves the priest standing on that step, you know, he, he, he goes off like the powerful uh, conquering hero I to the disorder of his father's life and the chaos and the smell of rotten vegetables.
2: I don't think it's that clean. I think think most of this chapter four and and, uh, a phrase that's used over and over throughout the book hither and thither confusingly like the idea of oscillating back and forth I get that feeling as I'm reading chapter four he's kind of seduced by the idea yeah. he's repulsed by it and it kind of goes back and forth back and forth back and forth until it's like screw this I'm yeah. not I'm not you, down. you can he's see getting him pulled. you can see him making like a t chart in his right. in his mind but he
0: doesn't I mean, I think his initial impulse is to say yes but he of doesn't course. do it like he restrains himself like he doesn't say anything he even when the priest is trying to make the joke about the capuchin dress well, that's like he, he he he, he <laughs> waits for the he doesn't like where's he going with this Mm -hmm. and and lets the priest, like his lips make a dubitant movement rather than actually saying, ha ha, yes, they look kind of silly with their skirts.
2: Here's a passage. Some instinct waking at these memories stronger than education or piety quickened within him at every near approach to that life. An instinct subtle and hostile and armed him against acquiescence. So it's something within. It's, It's his own nature. That's that, rebels back, against. that rebels again. Right, him. yeah, but it's a struggle. This is going back sure. and forth, back and forth. The yeah. Well, yeah, like you said,
0: but an unresting doubt flew hither and thither before his mind. You, yeah, you
2: know. and, and if you go, if you go to the passage I, ju- I just read, and we all have different copies, uh, the next standalone single uh, phrase paragraph, the Reverend Stephen Dedalus, yeah. S.J. Yeah. So that's like your last shot of yeah. like maybe <laughs> not, no. how and would this look yeah. on my desk yeah. yeah exactly it's one last time thinking about is He's taking the job or no yeah. you no know,
1: but even <laughs> even after he decides and he's going to go to university at the very beginning of of the third section of chapter four he's still kind of wavering you know he's he's moving between Byron and and right. the chapel you know what I mean it's I I think Joyce is cagey to do that. There's never going to be a kind of settled sense in Stephen because that's not Stephen's nature. But you get
0: the sense, don't you get this. I guess the point that I'm making is you get the sense in this section of Chapter 4 that you... First of all, I think it's the first admission of Stephen that, oh yeah, he had contemplated becoming a priest. I mean, we assume it, but it's never stated. And this is the first time it's actually stated in the narrative. And it's then pretty clear... But it ain't gonna happen. Like you know, in this, you know which way it's gonna go, even the first time reading it, because you realize there is title What,
3: what percentage you know, <laughs> of your boys are going are trying to enter the priesthood? Like, if you look at those kids, are half of them? Do they half of them have uh, aspirations to be half in the priesthood? A lot, but I think it's I think it's probably a substantial.
1: Lot. And I think everybody <laughs> at least has the idea in their head, you know. My guess is that, you know, in a Dublin family at this time, you know, X amount of boys in the family are expected to be priests, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, it's very casually mentioned.
0: Like, for example, like at one point he's talking about his beloved's family and then it's it's casually mentioned and the priest or uncle or whatnot. There's always like every family seems to have a priest in there. Yeah.
3: Yeah. At the end of the second section, when he's listening to the choir voices, um, he heard the choir voices in the kitchen echoed and multiplied through an endless reverberation of the choirs of endless generations of children. And heard in all the echoes an echo also of the recurring note of weariness and pain. All seemed weary of life even before entering upon it. I think, you know, the church to him is just this kind of place of kind of staleness and death. And there's no life, and there's no imagination. I think he just longs for that, and that's what takes him out into the beach, and that's where you can transform, you know, young women wading in the waves into birds, and and you know you can you can make the world into anything you want. That's a beautifully, deeply romantic sentiment, and I think. That's another thing that's been pulling at Stephen a lot, this kind of the romance of the imagination, the interior world, where anything can be possible, and then the world of Dublin, the harsh realities of of your deadbeat dad, you know, and and not a lot of options uh, for, you know, dealing with your sins, you know? I I actually, that's one of my favorite passages in the entire novel,
0: the The, passage with him and his siblings. I think... So for me, like that, that is more beautiful prose than the prose of that epiphany on the beach. Mm. You know the, the description of the kids singing, and I mean, I know it's heavily indebted to other ideas, like the 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 Newman quote, right? Which again, once again, so I, I really do feel that Stephen is searching for a communion, a communion that he's having trouble finding, and I think he finds it here in the everyday life, curiously of family. And he knows he's got to leave this, but it 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 breaks you know the, the idea that these kids before they're even off into the world, are already feeling that weariness without understanding it, and then the way he finds the communion is again through language, through two authors, right through Newman commenting on Virgil's half lines, and that's ultimately where he finds some sort of solace i
1: I feel like it's half hearted though i I don't feel like stephen. I don't feel like Stephen feels he belongs to these siblings. Um, he eventually enters in the chorus, but only kind of like grudgingly, and I don't think after it's grudgingly. a while, I think, I think he, he feels even... a
0: genuine sense of guilt there because yes, fed, he absolutely. says he's been given all the opportunities that these kids will never have. Yeah, and they're not as well fed as he is, yeah. and you know they
1: they don't seem to have a future the way that he is kind of tossing off futures it seems you know that are being laid out for him but I mean there's enough in that guilt to set him apart to make him not authentically one of them that I think he, I think I feel in the text you know he observes them for, for yeah. so long as if they're like a science experiment before he he even kind of it's like he has to like dip his toe in the water of them a little bit just to just to kind of get near them
0: I don't. I don't sense. I don't sense yeah. that callousness as much. I think that there's there's few points where Stephen shows that that compassion that he's battling to find. You know that sense of of really knowing. Like, what, what does his mom ask him at the very end? Like, I hope that you learn. Basically, I hope you learn how to love. At one point, yeah. when you go off on your exile, And I think you you feel a sense of it here. Because I mean, those are the things that he battles with: hate and love. At one point, I can't remember where it is, but he describes how for him it's always been like a a feeling of emotion that's then peeled away from him, almost like a a skin of a fruit. Right? It just passes over him. He's never felt those strong emotions, and when you get those glimmers of it, like some attempt to reach out to another human soul, it's 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 touching. It's heartbreaking. I think it's real. I think it's. I don't think there's a. I think he recognizes this community he has with his siblings, and he recognizes it,
1: but I don't think he can act on it. But he does. He I acts mean, on it right here. Look at that. Uh he what? sat near them at the table and asked where the father and mother were. One answered Conborough, Tuboro, Lookborough,
0: look I Hello that little detail. Oh uh, borough,
1: Houseborough. Still another removal. Yeah.
0: Exclamation. Well, point. that's talking about leaving that's not a removal from family. That's a I, I removal think, from I, I'm uh, going to suggest that it might it might have dual Alright, but I mean the technical meaning of it is another move. No, no, I get yeah. that. And yeah. that's yeah. what they talk about. I'm yeah. saying
1: subtextually, it's another removal from him. Yeah, you know, uh, of these people, these people that I mean, he can understand. I, I think that's the purpose of the coded language a little too, right? That they all have this inside yeah. language that he's, a part of it. that he's not a part of. He can decipher it, but he doesn't use it. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, an, it's he's removed from them.
2: And as I read this section, it's almost as if he walked down the, you know, he's in the middle of Dublin, and he just bumped into a bunch of strangers. I don't get, there's no, no warmth in this. Right. Later, and I hate we keep jumping ahead, and no, I'm just cool pissed that we've jumped ahead of chapter five, uh, you know, before. <laughs> but, so, I who who I think uh, Cranley asks him about, like, how many siblings does he yeah. have? He gives kind <laughs> of nine a... Nine or ten. Yeah, he gives With an approximation. One to nine. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I would assume he wrote that on purpose, that, yeah. you know, to make sure we know that, that, that Stephen was very distant. Distance of the point he's not sure how many, uh, you know, how, how much is in the litter, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, before, since we're talking about
1: this, let's talk about Newman and Virgil a little. You seem to know the source. I didn't know the source. I read a little of Newman grad school, very dry,
0: (laughs) boring stuff. I don't know, like, I never read this, though. I mean, he's clearly uh, somebody that the character Stephen has read much of, and to the point where he can walk past a strand of the beach and think immediately of Newman's silver line prose, or whatever the quote is, I think, again, chapter five. Uh, Newman, you know, wrote on Virgil... Um, what he's referring—I mean, do you mean what he's referring to specifically? I, I'm here? talking a
1: specific Virgil passage. What is this Virgil? So, from? Ver,
0: Ver, the, well, this is not this is not a, a quote from Virgil. This is a quote yeah. on Newman talking about Virgil. So, Ver, Virgil's *Aeneid* is full of unfinished lines, oh. and many—it's it, clear they're unfinished because he died before he could finish writing the poem. But many people read in the, those unfinished lines uh, a sense of heightened emotion that it's almost like the poet. And the speaker of those lines really could not go on because they're overcome with emotion. Mm. There's a very famous one where Aeneas is speaking to Dido, the queen of Carthage, and telling her that he absolutely must leave. And he gives a very um, difficult speech where he's trying to restrain his emotion, but he's bursting at the end. And then he says in an in unfinished line of dactylic hexameter, which is the meter of Homer and the meter of Virgil, he says, Italian non sponte sequor," which is a half line. But that half line says, essentially, I'm going to Italy, but not by my own will. And it's the last thing he says to Dido before she commits suicide. And it's unfinished. And so it's that sense of, of weariness, that sense of the pain of the world is encapsulated in those, those lines that are an unfinished. It's almost like there are handicapped lines that really show just the the weariness and fragility of of human existence. So, and he—that's what that, Newman is talking about and there. Joyce, and Joyce he, or Stephen hears right. that in the voices of the of his siblings speaking. Now, you could make the argument that he is so detached from them that he is already hyper intellectualizing the experience rather than just communing with them. But I think this is Stephen's way of communing with the world. I
1: agree. Yeah. But it's also a very isolating way. Sure, okay. And, um, I mean, and he joins that chorus. So to some degree, he's talking about himself as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that he's being explicit about that or maybe that's being kind of sublimated underneath, but it seems to be what Joyce is doing a little bit. Do we want to go back and talk about uh, Les Jupes? I thought that was the weirdest thing. Before we go into
2: the well, third why section, the priest is talking about that? Well, it does seem strange, right? I just thought it was like the, this is what you're going to get into. <laughs> like if you <laughs> if you join the 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 priesthood, you're going to be talking about other people's you know vestments. vestments I, I guess,
0: it, it, but it it's seems like the, see, once again, this is why I think Stephen. Stephen is reading the situation like this guy is trying to. He's manipulating. He's. At, this is the first instance I'm actually seeing a Jesuit living up to their reputation of being cunning, because he's being disingenuous here. Stephen thinks yeah. that the priest, like, why is he talking about this? This is a ruse. He's trying to read my face because I guess le jupon, or however you say that, is it, it it's, like a skirt. It's, it's like a naughty, but it's yeah. like a you know an underskirt or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And so he's he's looking for a reaction to Stephen. But Stephen can't see, can't read the priest because the priest is completely in shadow. So that's, I mean, that's how I took that. The the, the priest is basically... Although See, I think I, Tom's point might be correct that maybe the priest really is just like you know like yeah. oh those weird Franciscans like why can't those Capuchins grow up and wear normal clothes I think so. and I it's think so. Stephen's reading into it. It, it
1: yeah way too much I think this yeah. is just like monk gossip this is yeah, like it's trivial in <laughs> the garbage they talk <laughs> <Yeah>. about
0: but <laughs> Stephen <laughs> is so sensitive that like the mere mention of the word like he's hearing the softened use sound yeah. and he's already thinking of the undergarments of girls and is blushing because
3: mm. of it yeah because because Stephen's mind works through associations it works through metaphors it works through an imaginative spirit where words are not just simply compartmentalized like they are in the world of priesthood like this is what you're meant to think this is literally so when i'm talking about this stuff you're meant to just kind of joke about it because it's literally what i'm talking about but not for Stevens. I love the...
0: I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I love the admonition in that same paragraph where he says that he retains nothing of all he read save for that which seemed to him an echo or prophecy of his own state. And that's where he's talking about his shock that when he first felt a woman's stockings that they were brittle, almost like burlap, or that the the reins of a horse, which he would always imagined as being like silk, felt so greasy and leathery.
1: (laughs) And priests talk about... What they wear, and I think there might be a little more kind of in play in there. You know, talking about vestments is about obfuscation, right? What you wear, right? How you kind of cover your identity. You know, the, the, the priest is making an argument that like some ways to purport yourself as a priest and you know are more appropriate than others because there's an image to uphold. I, I think there might be a little more something to it that Joyce is doing. I don't think this priest cares about any of it except just to have something to say or some small talk before he kind of, uh, you know, lulls him into his pitch or something like that.
3: Or maybe if he wants to see if Stephen can, like, you know, will he laugh and go along with it, you know? Like, is he one of us? Are you
1: going to gossip with me? Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, that's what I want, a buddy. <laughs> I
3: don't
1: know. All right, so let's go to uh, the third section. Um... Uh, it's pretty good, I think. Uh, <laughs> hey. Dog came through the door. All right. Um, so we we start off with what I was talking about before, this kind of, like, a toggling, you know, still between the physically moving, you know, pacing back and forth between the artist's identity and the priest's identity. And um, as I read this through now, it does come through as a little heavy-handed back. that. <laughs> no?
0: Well, I mean, right away, I think you already made the point. You know, he's running between Byron and the church. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's a little on the nose. Why do we have to call it Byron's? uh, And apparently, uh, I think that's not, like, of all the people that have scoured Dublin finding the historical analogs, they're apparently, I, I could be wrong, but I think I found that there was no Byron's public house. So that seems like a Joyce invention. Yeah, on purpose. yeah, I would
1: imagine so.
0: But I, I love how it begins. I, I love the simple sentence. He could wait no longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really gets the like. I'm I'm brought back to other moments where he has had to flee during senses of uh, like heightened emotion, like uh, in chapter two. We're after the play yeah. and after waiting for the beloved EC or Emma whatever yeah, I, I mm-hmm. guess I don't think she's ever she's never called Emma Cleary in this right? I'm no. not sure. Okay. Either I way so. the girl uh, he has to run and then finally calms down after he uh, smells the horse piss and whatever you know it's it's great that ascent, that, that attempt he's, already he's got to flee and already you're in the mode of uh, Daedalus Nicarus you're already in the mode of trying to escape from something
1: yeah um, and then it's repeated again at the very end of that paragraph. But he could wait no longer. Yeah. He. What is he actually waiting for? I, he's waiting to, for to word on. The, oh,
0: dad and uh, somebody else are discussing right. his university position. Which I get the sense Dad's trying to grease the the wheel to try to get a position, maybe without paying or something. It's
1: something. I'm, it's, it has to be an assumption, but I, it yeah. has to be something financial, yeah. right? He's yeah. trying to
0: something to do with the university, though. Yeah. Right, because he talks about how, uh, you know, his mom was hostile to the idea. Mom doesn't want him to go to that particular university or university at all. Mom's probably was hoping he was going to become a priest.
2: Yeah,
1: probably, yeah. right? Why not? Uh, it, it's a stable life, far more stable life than, you know, rolling your dice and, you know, for this kind of cash put out, I'm sure.
0: And can I just give a shout out to my favorite figure of speech, how the chiasmus here is going to be all over the place, and it starts yeah. right away, you know, Byron's to Chapel, Chapel to Byron's, which I know is that's yeah. how it's got to be because you're running back and forth. But there's it a
2: couple in here. But there's it's the soft, all over. The slight, slight, the soft, Yeah, the being and then
0: when we the get to when we get to Bird Girl, it's it's, yeah, it's it is everywhere.
1: Yeah. So as you walk through the first um, Stephen utterance, I think is yeah, um, it's pretty significant. Uh, a day of dappled Seaborn clouds, right? Which starts him kind of I, I think I, I think the first time we see him formally
0: thinking as an artist in this but it's, it's not him what it's a uh, it's uh, from Hugh Green oh no he didn't it's not right.
1: his phrase but right. he's
0: saying it out loud right
1: right yeah go ahead
0: but we, that's not the first time though that he's he's mused on other people's work what based on his surroundings and feelings and the mood of the day
1: I think it's a catalyst for his artistic thinking in for this kind of, particular moment yeah but it, the first time in a structured way as a kind of identity marker I think he's been thinking poetically but he
3: does, he's never seen himself as a poet until now He talks about those clouds and he puts images to them in the next few paragraphs. That's what I'm saying. But But
0: I I was going to say, what about his experience uh, where it melts into Shelley's feeling about the moon and I think we've seen things like that before. Or or even what what we just saw with Newman commenting on Virgil and the experience that he's Are you saying that this this is going to lead to what feels like an artistic creation of his own?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Okay. I think you're right about those other examples, but there seems to be something, I don't know, just kind of formalizing here, something structured, a kind of, like, like you get a glimpse of an idea in the world, yeah. and you play with it, and it does something, and it comes to something mm-hmm. else, and we end up with well,
3: Look the, at the these incredible images n- at the end of, you know, a couple pages. Look at the next line. The phrase and the day and the scene harmonized in a chord. The phrase becomes something he knows in, in his in his knowledge bank, right? And the day becomes the moment, and the scene becomes what he paints, what he imagines, you know. So this is, and then of course this goes in for like the next four, four, or so five pages yeah. well, where he's I, developing it. I think
0: what's what's perhaps even more important than that is his analysis of it, because this is the first yeah. time where the first, like you actually see him subjecting a quote to this kind of an like what is it about words that appeals to Mm me and he you know he he realizes is is it the colors is it the what the words are referring to and it sounds like this sounds so appealing when he's talking about that you know the russet and green of apple but then he realizes no it was the poise and balance of the period itself and you get the sense that for Stephen it really is rhythm but then why rhythm is it because maybe i'm i'm myopic and i can't see very well i love that particular analysis like really what is it to me this is much more trenchant than his aesthetic theory of the beginning of chapter five, which you know is like, okay, if that's beauty, then I'm not interested. Whereas this, you know, whereas like what is it? Is it it's that it is that balance, it is that rhythm, that rhythm of beauty that he refers to later.
3: What's what's I'm sorry, what's no, cool also in that analysis is that he's not literal like a schoolboy. He doesn't talk about, you know, words and their meanings, but he calls it their associations of legend and color. You know, which is kind of, you know, a bit metaphoric in a way, you know, because you could just simply talk about, you know, words. What do they mean? Where do they come from? But he's already thinking well beyond the typical kind of schoolboy mentality of how he would learn. Well, there's all the arrogance,
1: I think, of chapter three and early chapter four seems to have gone away. Right. He seems almost humble and naive and excited about thinking about language and words where he I don't know. I think he was pompous and and arrogant before. You I know, this seems like a more
2: authentic, comfortable connection. If it did die down, then the pomposity comes back strong in, in chapter. In, five. in chapter five, I, I agree. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So maybe it's just when you're in new your surroundings, you're a little on you. You're minding your manners a little bit more, and you're yeah. You know, extra prudent. But can I just about the, push back a little bit because you d- his statements
0: ring pompous in the beginning of chapter five but he's constantly undercutting himself there's so much doubt
2: there's so much doubt but he put he regards himself uh in a a, within the sort of the pantheon of like literary figures amongst his peers it's like not even a a, a, up for debate and conversation he thinks he's a Jedi or something yeah (laughs) exactly I don't know
1: I
0: think I think there's a lot more self doubt in that chapter we'll suss that out when we get there yeah
1: you haven't been playing around what sad guy I like. Um, I also laugh. like that you know the, the paragraph we're talking about the phrase in the day, that is a kind of critique of form, right? How it sound and kind of you know playful rhythms and things, and then he has a, a kind of meaning, like a thematic analysis later on, which you know are the kind of two halves of you know aesthetics. I would argue. Um, disheartened, he raises eyes toward the snow drifting clouds, dappled and seaborne. They were voyaging across the, de- uh, the deserts of the sky. A host of nomads on the march, voyaging over Ireland, westward bound. And you get this kind of, what does it mean? The kind of symbolic value, and what does it mean to be a cloud as symbol? Something that travels over. Then he gets into Ireland versus Europe. You get the sense of how Stephen could be the cloud and that association. So he's setting up you know, this kind of like character construction, thematic construction, you know.
0: All of this just from association, right. from a walk, looking around, and then from his treasury of, of phrases comes that line, and then the meditation of all of the possible meanings. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic.
3: The, it feels that,
1: so new and fresh and exciting.
3: Yeah. And but but I... Oh, sorry. Go right ahead. Real quick. What's interesting, though, is that the paragraph right before A Day of Dappled Seaborn Clouds, when you get this whole artistic movement um, in, in Stephen's kind of imagination, you get a repetition of the word idol coming in three times, where he's getting echoes of what that priesthood life would be like, and it does seem so idle. It seems like, um, you know, dispassionate. There's not a whole lot going on. Then he enters into this world. The clouds are moving. He feels a faint click in his heart. There's a faint throb in his throat. There seems like there's things actually moving, like things are alive. Well, and get, he gets beckoned by that.
1: He's in his own world. At right? the end of that paragraph... Um, again, 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 a voice beyond the world was calling. Yeah. Right, beyond the world, the world that he's creating in his mind. Right, mm-hmm. the voice is coming from what the kids playing in the river or
3: whatever. Yeah. But, but he's well. That's a double, I think. What? Well, I think a voice from beyond the world was calling. Oh. Literally, that yeah. calling of the artist, and I think so perfectly. I love that transition. Yeah. Hello, Stephanos. You know, like there's actually literal voices calling. In yeah, there. no,
1: you're right. So uh, but that's, uh, if you associate it with what comes before. Right. right. This, this thought in and of itself is. Like a divine calling. To yeah, the, I, yeah, yeah I works on it, works yeah. on three levels because it's, it's it's,
0: it's uh, like from the mouths of babes, right? These are like literally naked kids yeah. in the water, like in amniotic fluid, announcing the coming of the new Christ <laughs> artist, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> They're all John the Baptist. Uh, yeah, well, John,
0: okay, John the Baptist is going to come in strong with Cranley in yeah, uh, yeah. in the uh, <laughs> book fo- or chapter five.
1: Yeah. All right, so so we get the boys right and. um and we also get the, I guess, formal introduction. I'm probably wrong about this again, but formal introduction of kind of the Greek identity, mm-hmm. right? We don't see this before, I don't think. The uh, uh, Stephan Numenos, uh, Stephan Phoros,
0: right, which has some meaning. I, I remember Oxol, like Stephen Oxol, and then the Garland bearer, because I mean yeah. Stephanos is like a garland, and Pharos has to do or Phoros rather, bringing like bearer. So this is like the ox for the sacrifice. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Here comes the Daedalus, yeah. right?
1: But, all right, so we haven't really talked about, I don't think, too much anyway, the Daedalus kind of stuff here, right? Um, he's going to associate himself explicitly with Daedalus, right? Um, the art, the Great Artificer. The Great Artificer. Now, I think there's a couple ways to kind of play with that, right? You know, he's, he's kind of... Um, creative genius, you know, in, you know, building the labyrinth and all of this, but also kind of traps himself in his own labyrinth, right? Which I think is something that's kind of being played with in this chapter, Mm -hmm. the idea of, you know, being too good at your job and losing identity
0: and then maybe overcoming that, but he doesn't trap himself in it. He's, he's put inside as a, a punishment, from uh, King Minos. So, if you want to look at it that way, then it's almost like some some outer power—the Church, Ireland, right. or whatnot—has. Yeah. You have to flee from that oppressor.
1: Yeah, but but he still, you know, has to kind of overcome his own
0: his own invention his own
1: invention right. in in a sense. Um, and you know, I, I think I think yeah, that is kind of explicitly what we have seen in the first two parts of this chapter, right? his kind of entanglements in the church and him kind of getting himself into this hot water of of what the the kind of uh i don't know what commitment to to dogma and all this and he has to out clever his own invention form the wings and fly above and that's basically what ushers us in into the second part of the third section of this chapter And why we get all the bird wings, and why we get right? He's projecting outward the hawk man and the bird girl, and all this. But it's him, I think, identifying with this kind of need to fly past his own constraints, right? Or the constraints of his own creation.
3: Are you talking about in in, in, that inside the Greek myth, or are you talking about inside the story here? Because. I'm talking about Stephen and the story
1: here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, I I think that's what Joyce is doing, right? Like, that's...
0: I don't know. Keep going.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, let's look at the the Hawkman himself, right? Um, Which I think is on the next page. Yeah,
0: now at the same time. Now at the name, rather, of the Fabulous Artificer. He seemed to hear the noise of dim waves and see a winged form flying above the waves and slowly climbing the air. (coughs) What did it mean? Was it a quaint device opening a page of some medieval book of prophecies and symbols, a hawk-like man flying sunward above the sea? A prophecy of the end he had been born to serve and had been following through the mists of childhood and boyhood. A symbol of the artist forging anew in his workshop of the sl- out of the sluggish matter of the earth, a new soaring, impalpable, perishable being.
3: He's <laughs> playing it with his tone. <laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, come on. Uh-huh. That's the
1: only way to read All that. Right.
0: But, but think about
1: it as compared to how he thought about confession, right, and annihilating his past, like I was talking yeah. about before. He is totally forward-thinking now, future-oriented, right? The Hawkman is him, right? He's he's as a kind of premonition of what his future can be, yeah. right? That's a lovely sentiment. And well, I, I mean, as snarky as you're going to be about it, you know, I think it's <laughs> I think it's it's incredibly. It's not only beautiful in its own right. It's it demonstrates such a uh, refreshing shift in the character and does so much
0: sure for and, and who's this Steven is the, the one flaw though that I find the one thing that doesn't ring true to me is for somebody as precocious as a young Stephen this is really the first time he's thought about his, his name, name? that's crazy <laughs> like that's that's crazy because if you're if you're named Daedalus which apparently is I mean I guess there could be people named Daedalus I don't know they any.
2: mention in there some of that's not an Irish name so yeah a it, times, it, it, so. it, for somebody that is so steeped
0: in the classical tradition. This this is not the first time Stephen Daedalus has thought of it, or or if it is, it just seems crazy that he. this is the Or first the
2: first. Time well, at least we know that this is the maybe the first time that he couples it with destiny. Yeah. So you're given, but this even name, that does that you be, be crazy name. for somebody's yeah, poet? You but, know, he, yeah, but I get you know it's not as if he's he's named <laughs> Jimmy MacDougalan or something yeah. like that. You know he's not he's not being given a name that's going to sort of keep him anchored to where he grew up. This this is. Yeah. This is what makes him. You know, he, he's rallying around he takes whatever he can to rally
3: around and it's it's the name itself which is magical. <laughs> <laughs> I take your point though. It's, <laughs> yeah it's a I, little good. All thing. of a sudden I did just hear Josh for like I get what you're saying for a second, that it is seem a little heavy-handed. Yeah,
2: no, it's ridiculous. Uh, but, well, but there's and this, well, this chapter's ridiculous right.
0: I, like, I think the language that I just read in that tone, I think it's supposed to be heavy handed. On purpose. I think it, it's it's beautiful. But it is it is very much I don't know, what are we saying? 17, 18 year old, young artist in the making, mm-hmm. charging sure. out to take the world. And I, I think that, that, that to me rings true as an artistic creation uh, capturing the spirit of a, a young person who is going to You know, be so excited to grapple with their destiny. What does not ring true to me, even through the level of Joyce, is the fact that really this is the first time that Stevens grappled with his name and recognized that there's some symbolism there. Yeah,
3: that's true. The the myth itself seems so great because there are a lot of things going on with it. Like you know, this idea of artistry and creation. You get father son conflict. You get. You know, ideas of of masculinity or um, what it means to adventure and take risks and things. Like, there's a lot of thematic depth that we've been reading about that comes into this myth, which is, I think, works really well. Yeah, because Stephen is,
0: I mean, Stephen is. More, I would say even more than Daedalus, who is the creator. Stephen is Icarus. Yes, Stephen, Stephen, is the the Stephen is the son. Stephen is the son who is looking for a father. Stephen is the son who will rise up and fly, even though he's told not to. He will fly too close to the sun mm-hmm. in right. an attempt to, you know, achieve something of greatness. I mean, who is the who is the symbol of the artist? You know, in the Daedalus and Icarus myth, it's not Daedalus; it's Icarus. Yeah. Oh, you you're, know, Icarus oh. is the artist who flew too close to the sun and tried, but you know, he, he ultimately fell.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. Icarus yeah. didn't create.
0: Icarus no. just
1: just used the art of his father. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I've always, I've, I, for me, it's always been Icarus and, and others too as a symbol of of at least attempting something, breaking the rules. Because yeah. Daedalus, Daedalus is the symbol of like the most famous passage of, of 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 that that story in Ovid, at least is fly the middle path. Right, neither no, too high right. nor. It, it basically, you know, eat the 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 stale porridge. Don't don't eat the you know nothing too you know Goldilocks basically, yeah, yeah. right? And so <laughs> nobody wants to be you know nobody wants to be uh you know the 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 I'm, I'm conflating too many myths, but nobody wants to be the <laughs> stodgy old guy that flies right in the middle, right? You want to yeah. you want to break out and and do something. You know, fly. You know, you want to reach towards the sun,
1: but I think that's about kind of teenage angstiness and impetuousness. But here, here, chapter I know, four. I totally agree with <laughs> that. But I don't know that that necessarily makes Icarus an artist or a creative force. No, he just he yeah, need the. But I,
3: you need both. But Icarus is the kind of focal point of that myth, though, right?
1: Because um, he's
3: he's really what yeah. happens. He becomes the drama so, of that story. So here's the read I like better. I, I
1: like. Before this point in the text, Stephen being more associated with Icarus, and this being a kind of marker of him taking over and kind of leading his own destiny, him being more associated with Daedalus. Sure. Right? I mean, and that, I mean, if you want to bring Freud in, that makes some Freudian sense, you know? Yeah. In a way, the, the boy has to kind of, you know, kill the father... And Metaphorically, him. in order to kind of be his own person in the world, in order yeah. to claim identity, I think that's kind of more
0: likely here. Then the myth itself is kind of troublesome in the sense that the son is the one that dies and the father is the one that carries on.
2: Mm-hmm. But they're not not—they're not supposed to be like direct. No, no. At, at no I, I, so, get, I get it. I'm just saying that it's... He's it's, picking it's, a nugget yeah. from the idea, the idea of flight...
3: You know? and, and, in fact, I like the idea of retelling it. I like the idea that somehow he can change that myth through his own existence that you know the myth becomes yeah. different
2: when we get to ulysses i mean you know uh, telemachus he's you know or or Stephen and telemachus i mean they're 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 different oh, <laughs> they're of course no i them, know. So I, I'm
0: not looking for he's a one to one like yeah, no, this no, is he's calling he and then i mean you know at, at at the very end of the novel he he is that. Icarus figure who is looking to Daedalus as a father figure, asking him, "Please stand me in good stead." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's there is a constant toggling back and forth of I the totally two roles. Agree. Yeah, I'm just saying of of the you know, one thing I haven't spoken about in defense of the whole Icarus thing is the idea of the fall. You know that right. he has to fall, right? Yes. You have to in order to achieve some sort of uh, artistic.
3: Enlightenment? Experience
0: or enlightenment—you have to fall. Icarus is the one that falls, not Daedalus. Yeah. So, yeah, no, you're right. It's 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 a toggling back and forth,
1: which I think works perfectly with you know what I was talking about before about plumbing your past, yeah. right? You know, you can't mm-hmm. you can't plumb a, a past if you deny the the fall. Mm-hmm. You know, the fall has to be a kind of um, important marker of who you are, so you can exploit it yeah. in some way. Um, So, Bird Girl? (laughs) (laughs) Well, just leading
0: up to Bird Girl. Yeah, there is some nice language. Leading up to Bird Girl. Well, and again, the language definitely wears itself very much on its sleeve with with expressions like, you know, even with the boys in the water, the towels which which they smacked their bodies were heavy with cold seawater and drenched with cold brine was their matted hair. You know, very nice chiastic structure. And then... You get the whole
1: metaphor uh, you know,
0: of an ex. Oh, god!
1: Oh, you get the whole metaphor of the the dead bodies and the 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 shedding of the cerements uh, and yeah. the grave and all of that.
0: I mean, you an know, ecstasy of flight made radiant his eyes and wild his breath and tremulous and wild and radiant his. Wit. We're prepared for. I mean, this is this is a passage that is super steeped as. You know voluminous other people have commented upon already, but this is super steeped in the time of the late nineteenth century that that very romantic sense of like the symbolist literature, none of which I've read, so don't don't <laughs> think like well, you yeah, know it's, it's I'm just reading commentary that that then you know use so many excerpts like when we get to the Villanelle, you know that is like ripped. You know, okay, so yeah, so much of that is ripped from various other authors. He's creating this time. And you get that sense of Stephen's romance. Like, he has experienced this through the literature he is reading. Yeah. Right?
3: I mean, I think it's a little bit of that anxiety of influence this idea that, you know, he is reading these great myths and these stories, and he's trying to carve his own story. But when you look around, you've got the kind of dingy, dirty streets of Dublin and your deadbeat dad. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't compare to these, you know, beautiful stories you read in books. And I feel like throughout this, throughout Portrait, there's been that kind of reconciling between those two worlds. Tom talked about the toggling. You know, another toggle, I think, has been between that kind of romantic, you know, play of of what life could be, but then the reality of what Stephen is and, and how can he remake that reality I don't know where I was taking it, but well, I, yeah,
1: I see a lot of this, you know, from the uh, from the Hawkman on to be this kind of like the floodgates have opened yeah. in his mind, and he's just kind of rolling through all these kind of new possibilities. It's like it's like you know having all of this this freedom to just express yourself. So he's going to go through all these different modes to express it, using all these different metaphors and just kind of play. This game, I think, and it all culminates in in our bird girl. Le-
3: life opens up, certainly, in this chapter. I mean, you, you yeah. sense, like, you know, like, there's breathing in this yeah. text.
0: Breathing is a good word. I mean, yeah, especially beginning. after, you know, the slog of chapter three and then the mm-hmm. beginning of chapter two. Like, when he laughs... No, no, I mean, I, I do mean chapters three and then the beginning of chapter four. What did I say? Two. Two, two. It's okay. two. I did not mean to say two. So you three and come the come beginning of, of four. And when he laughs, though, at the very end of chapter four... Like, the idea, like, I'm giving up the priesthood for rotten vegetables in my father's house. And he laughs twice at that. Like, it's it's such a relief. Like, that laughter, like, after the claustrophobia of those chapters... And here it is completely open.
1: It's completely mirthless, you know. Like that's such a
0: yeah, but it's it's, nice. But it's a laugh. It's a a laugh is a laugh, and it's you you take
1: it. It's (laughs) uncommon, and it's like, oh, good. The the kid has some kind of uh, sense
2: of humor. That's great. The claustrophobia. The opening paragraph every day of the week is commandeered by this outside force. Your end of the chapter, you 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 have this contemplation on the sky. Yeah, and clouds and things yeah. of flight so it's a complete yeah.
3: b- binary yeah. and what I love is when part 5 opens up it, op- it opens up with food and eating which is the same way part chapter 3 opened mm-hmm. you know so you're like oh shit right back down to like the real world you yeah, know? Yeah, you it's, you like, totally brings you back yeah. and by the way you asked before Josh about you know why not end with part 4 or, or you know well or it's a rhetorical would, question exa- I, mean, I think I know
0: the answer but yeah, yeah yeah no no
3: but, like, think about how kind of cheesy this would be <laughs> if it had ended in part four. I think we'd all kind of look at each other like, really? This is, this is how perfectly life works out? Like, it doesn't work that way, you know? That, which I think ushers Joyce into a more modern voice and, a, you know, he's really touching upon things that um, capture more the reality of, of what our lives are like.
1: I have a technical question. The paragraph um, in this section that uh, starts, where was his boyhood now? has some strange pronouns. No? Let's read it. Where was his boyhood now? Where was the soul that had hung back from her destiny to brood alone upon the shame of her wounds and in her house of squalor and the subterfuge to queen, to queen it in faded
0: cerements and in wreaths that withered at the touch? Where was he? I'm thinking the hers, the soul soul. from the Latin word anima, feminine soul.
2: But he's talking about his soul. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He does this in the beginning of chapter five, and in chapter five, there's several times where he attributes female, feminine qualities to males. Cranley has womanish eyes at one point. He continues to refer to his soul in the feminine way. There's a couple other uh, examples that he or things from there as well. Really? Yeah, it's pretty progressive.
1: Right, I mean, unless there's some kind of like technical, you know, old timey thing I'm missing. I, I think that's you know pretty interesting. Yeah, right. I think that too. I don't know. And then we get to the bird girl. I was thinking that maybe it had some something to do with her. You know, that his soul was already communing with her in a sense, and this was ushering that in. I'm not a huge
3: you know. To, I'm mean, not going to have a huge sense of that, but it's, well, trying to make... I think he's talking I, about
0: the artistic. I'm sorry, David, no, no, I go go
3: off. Well, but. I mean, I think roles of masculinity come up very subtly in this text. They don't, the text doesn't seem to address it head on, but the conflicts with his father, you know, this idea of being an artificer, this idea of creating something and being autonomous. So I, I don't know. I think there's some of what that. What does it have to do with gender, though? well, this idea that his father has to provide for the family and that's what he hasn't been doing, or this idea that you are responsible as a father for the lives of many people, um, whereas, you know, if you were going to go into the priesthood, for example, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Everything's predetermined for him.
2: Yeah. I... As far as gender is concerned, I don't. I don't remember if it's our discussions in Dubliners or if this. It's all starting of starting <laughs> to blend at this point in time. But for the first few chapters, you, you you just get these, or at least by the time you get to the the, the start of three, you have Mariolatry and you have the whores. You know, so you have this, this contemplation on, on the pure and the innocent and the debauched. and even though he does express a, a good deal of anger still towards women at the end of this book? Maybe this is a stab at some sort of reconciliation of understanding. Yeah, I, I certainly
1: think it's a maturing. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah.
2: a maturation. Yeah,
1: no, I, I think so, definitely. I mean, you know, it might be, because he's going to, I think, get much better at women by the time he hit USEs, right? Particularly the anti-USEs, so this might be a stepping stone towards that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bye. Um, all right. A girl stood before him in midstream, alone and still, gazing out to sea. She seemed like one whom magic had changed into the likeness of a strange and beautiful seabird. Her long, slender, bare legs were delicate as the cranes, and pure, save where an emerald trail of seaweed had fashioned itself as a sign upon the flesh. Her thighs, fuller and soft-hued as ivory, were barred almost to the hips where the white fringes of her drawers were like feathering, featherings of soft white down. Her slate-blue skirts were kilted boldly about her waist and dovetailed behind her. Her bosom was as a bird's, soft and slight, slight and soft, as the breast of some dark-plumed dove. But her long, fair hair was girlish and girlish, and touched with the wonder of mortal beauty her face. I think it's gorgeous language. Mm -hmm. It's it's softcore poor
2: Well, (laughs) it is. Or or an anthologist. Right. Um, right, go ahead,
0: make your argument, and I well, will destroy right. it.
1: Let's take away what could be considered overall imagery, right? Mm-hmm. Syntactically, there is such interesting play here. The, the, I mean, you love the chiasmus, and that's there, but I love that that end with um, but her long fair hair was girlish and girlish and touch, right? There's such a, I don't know, a, a kind of strange rhythm to it. It's almost like his experience of seeing her has like skipped a beat of the rhythm of his normal life because.
0: Okay. I'm sorry. I'm I'm (laughs) so rude. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to (laughs) say, the point is she looks so much like a bird, but wait, no, she still looks girlish. When you get to the head? Right? Like, I mean, think about it. It's almost like a, this is prior to to cinema being an art form that is everywhere, Uh but it's very much like you cameras panning from the legs, the legs going up to the skirt, the skirt, oh my goodness, now we're up to the breast, now we're up to, oh girl, you know, she is still so girlish with her hair. It's, it's like a, it's a picture, picture like images of the time, right? Like I picture, you know, Victorian, uh, not even softcore pornography, but like Victorian images of... Like girlishness that are perhaps set like near pornographic, and this is what I picture: girl standing with her skirts raised up in the the sand. It it's it, it's beautiful language, but it's also very much. I think we're supposed to think this is what a schoolboy imagining beauty is. All right, I'm gonna take,
1: I'm gonna agree with that 100%, and say all of that is incredibly. Refreshing, giving, given the context of what Steven has just gone through in this chapter where the term Le joups gets him in this kind of like fit of hysterics internally because he's now thinking about girls and what this is going to do to his immortal soul. The idea now that he can not only appreciate the female form, but, but play with the notions of it and imagine different ideas. And it, it's, such wonderful characterization in terms of what's happening in his mind.
0: You're right, and this is why I make the argument that chapter three was merely an obstacle that needed to be surpassed because I think this is right where he was at the end of chapter two because he's already, like, it's not as though Stephen hasn't already enjoyed the form of woman, you know, before. You know, like, he's certainly enjoyed the form of woman before he had that then- blip of chapter three, where almost all was lost. Well, I think a
1: blip is maybe undercutting the severity of no, this. I don't, okay. <laughs>
0: but. The bump in the road that was, that was quite big. But I think, I mean, the fact that you can so easily then reduce this down to almost like a, a student's exercise where he, you know, he describes the girl, right? And then he goes to her various pieces to explain why she seems yeah. like a bird. And each one begins, you know, her blank, her blank, her blank, And then, but the stop at the very end, you know, but her long fair hair was girlish and girlish in touch with the wonder of mortal beauty, her face. I mean, we end with that very conspicuous chiasmus. You know, this it's, it does seem almost like an exercise. Stephen wins his money through essays, right? And so you can almost imagine this being written for a prize. This seems very much a piece of Stephen at the time as the budding artist. And I think that is an achievement. I don't think yeah. that makes this any less I, – I just – I guess you know what it is that I'm, that I'm I'm fighting against? I'm fighting against the first times I read this as a very young person and thought there is no more beautiful English prose than this. This is the most beautiful passage I've ever read. And maybe that's because as a little kid reading this, I'm like totally buying into it and I don't have that sense that as an older person – yeah, you know, this this is the beauty, It doesn't hold you. up for you. As right. Well. well it holds up but it holds up in a different way as an artistic achievement of capturing that time versus I felt like I wanna be like a guy that can write like this. I wanna feel those passions as a fourteen so or you, fifteen year old kid. You think
1: it captures the mentality of a seventeen year old, but it doesn't capture truth in any kind of large I think it captures way. the
0: truth for a fifteen right. year old. But I it's think not universal. sixteen it's year old. I I think this is this to me is this to me is beauty and, and, and sex and, and, and that, that, that compulsion to take a beautiful image and, and do something, like render it artistically no. at that age, at that age. And it, it doesn't ring true to my experience as a 40-year-old man. Like reading this now, all I see is, oh, that's quaint. Yeah, that's incredibly written, but it's 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 it it's meant to be quaint and awkward, especially coming after the epiphanies of Birdman, and now we got Bird Girl. It's it's like, you know, I think this is very much like birds are everywhere. I'm I'm burdened it up with
3: yes. Yeah. I guess but I that, just don't make the distinction. I, I don't know. I don't know that you have to have that distinction. But, but but that but there's something else interesting that I think is happening. Like just just a few days ago I saw an egret in the water like that's what egrets do <laughs> alright time out time out <laughs> can you set this story up a little better yeah I'm into birds okay. I, I'm obsessed with birds and I, maybe that's why I love bird girl but if you look at a wading bird like a crane or an egret they've got these long slender legs and they walk through water and you know of course they're waiting to pick off fish and whatnot. but that's what those real birds do and so this this girl is wading in the water and her dresses are pulled up Right, so all of a sudden, you know, the feathers tail off like the dress, and she's wading in the water like the bird. The idea that he could take this girl and place her into the reality of the world—the world as the way it is, the natural world of birds and animals and things beyond himself—there's something very beautiful in that. And maybe it's a simplistic metaphor, but he's seventeen, so that's a pretty good metaphor yeah, for man, a seventeen. Yeah, I, I
0: agree with you one hundred percent.
3: I think that. I guess what I want to say is, I think. To
0: say that, wow, that's beautiful prose is not giving Joyce credit enough. I think the creation of capturing this as a creation of somebody this age who is a, like the fact that, first of all, I, like writing a passage of prose like this, I think is 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 beautiful. I, I, I really do think it is. But viewing it, then even like recognizing it almost as a not almost, but recognizing it as a product of a very Talented eighteen or nineteen year old having this experience is even more extraordinary.
3: But why do we have to talk about it in the context of everything Joyce has written? Why 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 do we have to compare this to all the amazing prose that Joyce has, has written or or? No, has? I, I'm saying I'm
0: not I'm not comparing it. I'm saying I find, I find this to be as an achievement as. The ability to capture what it is like to be a young person who is able to create like this on the spot, right? I think that that is an achievement more valuable for like if I'm making an argument for why Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man is an incredible novel. I will cite this passage and I will say, read this. And here's why I think it is great. Not because when you read that paragraph, you are so moved because of you're just, you're, you're looking at bird girl and you're thinking, wow, this is an incredible image um, of artistic creation. I think take it a step further and say, right, but don't you get the fact that that's an 18 year old creating that? And it feels like in a, with all of its clumsiness, with all of its artifice, with all of its the tendency to be overwrought of like that 18 year old, Voice isn't that incredible that you can create something like that? I feel it. I think it's... I'm saying it's artifice, but I feel it's a more authentic experience because I recognize that. You know what I mean?
1: I'm going to take another crack at this, though. I think there's something else going on with this passage that we can attribute to kind of a mature Joyce, you know, uh, experience. And that's that Stephen sees himself in the girl as much as he sees a kind of sexual object. I think absolutely, right? Because... He described bird like quality because in she has bird like quality and he's I mean this this passage, I mean okay. the the whole last section, if anything, is about his transformation and what he can do. This is like the the Hawkman that he kind of um, creates in his mind. She becomes another winged creature that that
0: has his kind of uh, artistic um, identity markers and is somebody so she's alone. She's alone. She's alone, and she's also not afraid to bear herself, which in a way would be exceedingly provocative during this time period. And
1: I think that's all metaphor for him as artist, right? And, you know, something that, that has all the potential for beauty and flight, but, you know, the kind of reticence and, and you know, maybe, um, maybe fear of, of taking those, those steps. I, I mean, I think that that exists in the text— you know, but that's something that Stephen is not necessarily thinking when he's talking about these things, but Joyce is maybe imbuing with, uh, the language with. So I think there might be a little more there, you know, than just Steven's lust kind of coming through or being
0: See, I, being. I, I, I hope I, that, that that's not what I'm. That's, that's not what I mean, mean to say that this is. I love picking on you when I say uh porn. The way he said lust, he was like your lust. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I give up. No. I feel as though I, I I'm not getting across the fact that no, I, I love I this it. It. passage. It's the I reason do. why I love the passage. Which
3: uh, I got it
1: about an hour and a half ago. You have the sophisticated read, and I have the dumb read. I get it. I totally get it. I think it
3: was simpleton.
1: Alright, you got anything else? What, what comes
3: after this? There's a, there's a few more words after this, right? Her image had passed into his soul forever, and no word had broken the holy silence of his ecstasy.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> he, um, I like uh, his, his cry. Heavenly God.
0: I actually... Li- I, <laughs> I, like, like, I that. like that. I, I love... That's relief. That's where the floodgates have uh, just completely crashed open and... Uh-
3: a, a wild angel had appeared to him, the angel of mortal youth and beauty, yeah. an envoy from the fair courts of life to throw open before him in an instant of ecstasy the gates of all the ways of error and glory... On and on and on and on. Yeah, see, it's the gates, uh, or, the, or rather the the ways of error and glory that I keep thinking
0: back to Icarus. The idea you have to make mistakes, you have yeah, to yeah. fall, right?
1: Yeah, I'm totally by that. Um, we get a couple other things that happen in these this last page or so, right? He falls asleep, he wakes up. There's um, there's a, a sense of I don't know. I think like just utter joy at the reality of what took place. You know that, that's kind of subtle in the last couple of paragraphs.
0: W- wouldn't you agree um, it's akin to the end of book two? That kind of surrender? Yeah, I do. Or chapter yeah. two? I could say in book two, but chapter two, that, that, that complete surrender. And I, I'm reminded of the, the Latin that was cited from the Song of Solomon. The, you know, the, the quote is inter ubera mea como rabatura, which literally means he will be, or he will tarry or delay between my breasts. Which sounds so amorous, right? <laughs> it, but the idea usually it's interpreted in a very stodgy way that it's symbolic of the church's love of Christ. But if you really do think of it in that way, of that amorous embrace, and here Stephen is lying with the world underneath him, he really he really is in that figure embraced by this this all encompassing earth mother. You know, he's he's reached his embrace there, lying on the earth, just yeah. watching the the dome of the sky pass over him.
1: Yeah. In the last paragraph, um, the moon comes back. I feel like that's Shelley's moon, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that connects us right back to Chapter 2, which you're suggesting, I think. I mean, I I think there's a lot of, you know... I think maybe the the whole church in his life was a lot more important than you know, than just like a blip or All a right, challenge. I mean, that was but, a poorly chosen word. But um but I do think there is maybe a return to a natural kind of trajectory yeah. here. And what happens is what Stephen believes the heir of his life was, which was the events of chapter two, actually turns out that the heir of his life was the events of chapter 3 which he had to overcome yeah. I,
0: I totally buy that and he, he hasn't, I mean yeah, Blip was a terribly chosen word it's because fine. by by chapter 5 he is still battling with it in that conversation yeah. with Cranley yeah. where Cranley's questioning him like well you know so much about the church, you still seem to be you know, following its rules by not following its rules he, he just can't shake it it's just such a part of his DNA I love the very end of this passage. All right, that's what chapter. I was going to ask about. Okay, ask away.
1: The island, the, the figures, right? Um, the tide was flowing in fast to the land with a low whisper of her waves, islanding a few last figures in distant pools. Right? The image is amazing. Right? The water goes down and it leaves these little islands. Right? With with I, I see like lone, you know, shadowy, you know, individuals on. Who right. are they? Right. Who are those shadowy individuals? I, I mean, I don't know. But my first inclination is to say Stephen of the past in a way. Right. Or the Stephen that is being left behind or maybe not just Stephen, but, you know, the the other people in Stephen's life that he now has to leave behind as if he is flying away. Like one of those birds. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. That's why they're shadowy. So that would be Simon and those siblings and his mother and, and e. the priests e. that and were priest.
0: trying to lure him to a different life, right? Which I, is oh, go I, ahead. I, well, I, I just you know, piggybacking on that. I love the idea that in in uh, you know the beginning when we was talking about the power of rejecting sin, how it was like a tide that was coming in, and that you know all he has to do is reject the sin, and then boom, the tide's way out there, but coming back. Now he's embracing it. The tide is rushing back in, and he's fine. Yo, it's okay. Let it come. Let it wash right over me.
1: What, what's interesting? Particularly because tides are associated with females, and that seems to be the crux of you know, both his downfall and mm-hmm.
3: enlightenment from a certain point of view. Uh, that's what, what- what's also interesting is that those figures in the water could literally be the boys still playing, but he doesn't even bring that up, so he oh, doesn't yeah. even lead you to that. He leads you into the world, the metaphor and this idea that, you know, he's flying in the world and the, and the things are flying past him. He doesn't even allude to the, the literal connection, which is the scene that he had laid out, which the boys were playing there.
1: That's interesting because those figures
3: are almost like, I mean, I don't think they're really there. I think like enough time
1: has passed, but they almost stand as kind of like, like little shadowy images from yeah. the night before, which is, is kind of hazy in his memory. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Alright, we feel good about this. <laughs> Anything else for chapter four? It's a lot, man. I, I mean, you know, I started with saying that this is the strongest chapter. I still believe it is. I mean, I think, you know, and it's I think it's the
0: shortest.
2: Yeah. yeah. I two. mean
0: by far.
1: Packing so much information into this and and you know, has the most um, you know, dramatic changes and and I think some of the most powerful language with maybe the exception of, you know, the end of five in terms of kind of creative creativity, but, um, yeah, very impressive. All right. Next time we'll finish Portrait.